The Music Business Worldwide podcast is supported by Volley Music, a leading financial management platform for the music industry. Volley enables you to track expenses, approve invoices, and make payments 24-7, 365 days a year. For your free trial, head to volleymusic.com. That's V-O-L-Y music.com. Hello and welcome to the latest Music Business Worldwide podcast. My name is Tim Ingham, the founder of Music Business Worldwide, and joining me for a conversation on this episode is a super smart executive who is very much at the vanguard of music's relationship with technology. SK Sharma, who is based on the West Coast of the US, is Chief Analytics and AI Officer, that's AI as in Artificial Intelligence, at InGroove's Music Group, which, as you probably know, is a very successful distribution and services company working with independent artists and record labels. It's an interesting time to talk to SK in Grooves Wise because the company, partly under his direction actually, was recently granted its second patent in the United States for proprietary technology, machine learning technology to be more specific, that enables artists to more effectively identify valuable fans and target them with online marketing. Ingrooves actually claims that campaigns generated through this smart audience technology are driving an increase in streams for artists at a rate nearly double that of traditional online marketing methods. That's not the only interesting thing going on at Ingrooves right now. The company recently confirmed that its long-standing CEO, Bob Roback, is stepping down from his position. Uh, I actually ask SK on this podcast the direction that he'd like to see Ingrooves move in over the next few years worth noting is the fact that Ingrooves was fully acquired by Universal Music Group a few years ago. But the main reason I'm excited to talk to SK is actually SK himself. This is a guy who grew up in Watts, Los Angeles, as he explains, and actually went to the same middle school as Easy e from NWA. From that background, SK has done lots of remarkable things, including designing pharmaceutical drugs, working for Goldman Sachs and Lehman Brothers. Uh, he's a PhD from Caltech, just throw that in there. And as an investment advisor, he doesn't say this on the podcast, but I've been told it subsequently. He was one of the early backers of a small company called Tesla, run by that shrinking violet Elon Musk. SK's professional specialisms span AI-based marketing analytics theoretical chemical physics, computational biophysics, and antiviral and antimicrobial therapeutics. He also likes paddleboarding. Oh, and just for fun, SK's either co-founded or served as partner or equity holder in four tech startups that have each exited for over $100 million. On this podcast, I ask SK about Ingrew's patented new technology, but also how rare it is to see an internal music industry company, if you like, innovating with this level of ambition, actually patenting its own technology, rather than waiting for a third party to do it for him with famous examples, Spotify, Apple, TikTok, YouTube, etc. Things get particularly interesting, I think, when I start to ask SK about his impressions of the music business when he first joined it as a data scientist back in 2017. SK Sharma, welcome to the MBW podcast. Uh, we're here to talk particularly today about the technology that Ingrooves has recently patented in the US and how that ties to what you're calling your smart audience platform. So before I get into the 
reasons why you've patented, patented it and what that means for the future. Uh, could you just explain what this technology actually is and why Ingrus believes it is taking the industry in a, in a bold new direction? Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Absolutely a fan and just uh, really stoked to, to be here with you. Um, in a nutshell, the way we think about our second patent, which encompasses Smart Audience Platform, is that's really about analyzing the way that a particular piece of content is being consumed with respect to something like source of play. So you can think about active versus passive in that regard. But even more important than that is sort of cutting across dimensions of age, gender, region cohorts that are consuming the track and how this relates to consumption patterns of tracks, saying the same genre. Turns out that sounds really sort of muddy and detailed, but this analysis effectively informs targeting that reaches both a currently engaged audience of a track and just obviously nurtures that engagement further, but also starts to identify audiences who have not yet been strongly exposed to that track, but are nevertheless highly likely to engage with that promoted track, given their current consumption patterns. So in a nutshell, a lot like Netflix. <laughs> uh, a lot like Netflix. That's not ambitious at all. Uh, one topic I really want to talk around in this conversation is the idea of Ingroove's determination to build this uh, technology themselves, this proprietary technology themselves, and patent it themselves, as opposed to waiting for third parties in Silicon Valley or startups to develop this kind of technology so the music industry can piggyback off it. Now, when you look at digital innovation in the music industry, famously, if we look at downloads and streaming itself, those have those technologies have come from outside the business, and it's long been a, a criticism of the uh, of the business, the large rights holders, etc., that those developments didn't come from inside the music industry. So with that as the backdrop, why was Ingroove so determined to develop not only this technology, but you, this is your second patent, you'll you develop two patented pieces of technology, both interrelated yourselves. And why was it important for that to come internal as opposed to external? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a third on the way, by the way. Um, but but to, to nail your question, I think a big part of that for us early on, and this obviously predates the UMG acquisition in 2019, is to really think about a, to really think about an opportunity where we had to be smarter than everyone else, right? We really had to use um, what was at the time a set of creative skills to think about how we wanted to enable our artists and our labels to win in a place that was changing very quickly. It was changing, it was evolving, all sorts of retailers were coming online. But more importantly, there were a lot of conversations about how to go ahead and get your music heard or how to go ahead and grow your audience, as we uh, referred to earlier. But there was very little actually being done, frankly, outside of, say, Spotify, to demonstrate to artists and labels that there is real value in going down this path. So we frankly, we took it as a challenge, not an intellectual challenge, but we took it as a real true um, challenge because, frankly, we're music lovers. I came from outside the music industry. My entire team came from outside the music industry. We've come to be extraordinarily thankful for the opportunity to work in the music industry and to learn from people like you and others that we've had the chance to meet. But to your point about IP, after a while, we realized we're a bunch of scientists and engineers and mathematicians, and we've done something that's incredibly valuable. Um, it makes sense to own that, and it makes sense to really go ahead and iterate and make that better and smarter over time, as opposed to simply relying on someone else who, frankly, may or may not really love the music the same way we do, right? I mean, we we dig this stuff. It's what we do. We live it. We breathe it. We go to concerts. We talk to our, our colleagues on, on the artist and label management side. And so 
it's really ingrained, it's sort of ingrained in our DNA to go ahead and bring our way of thinking into the music industry in a very complimentary way. So I don't know if that, that really kind of nails that answer, but it's from the heart, right? We just, we love doing this stuff and better us than, than folks who were paying to do it for. Right? Uh, one of the very interesting sentences that just tumbled out there was you talking about, I think you said scientists, mathematicians, and engineers. It's <laughs> not in that order. Um, and obviously you referred to the fact that there are multiple of you. There's a team of you within InGrooves. What does that tell us about InGrooves itself and its determination to have a USP versus other distribution, quote unquote, distribution and services companies in the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you've you've seen this market, uh, and you know this market better than almost anyone in the industry. But but go back to that point of evolution, right? I mean, you can offer distribution as a core service, but over time, uh, your your ethos doesn't change. But the ability for you to go ahead and effectively service and partner with artists and labels probably requires a little bit of a different operational model, right? So we've evolved that operational model over time in order to provide. I mean, I hate to sound corporate, but in order to provide the most value um, for for artists and label par- partners, but you know, in basic English, I think a lot of that really comes back to this notion that um, we really, really love what we do with respect to enhancing the listener experience, but we're not necessarily aligned with Spotify or Apple or any one individual retail. As a distributor, we see everything across every platform, across every genre. So what we really aim to do is to expand success across every one of these channels, right? As opposed to focusing a bit myopically. So to your point, I think we really tried to leverage our position as a distributor to go, hey, we have access to all this information. And how do we actually use that information in a meaningful way instead of just focusing on the retailer du jour, right? Which as you pointed to earlier with downloads, had we just focused our entire strategy on Napster downloads, perhaps that may not have been the most prudent thing to do in this environment. I'd, I'd like to get a word from you um, about Universal Music Group. So InGrooves, uh, as I understand it, Universal previously had a minority position in InGrooves, was more of a sort of passive investor at that point, but then made a full acquisition of InGrooves, I think I'm right in saying in 2019. So I just wanted to uh, thank you. I just wanted to know from your perspective, how that has, well, for one thing, we've seen a lot of international expansion at InGroove since that point in time. And it's, you know, it's, you don't have to be uh, a genius to work out that Universal has stepped up with a lot of investment um, to make that happen. But from your perspective, particularly from the data science and these and this new patented technology perspective, you know, how has Universal's acquisition of InGroove's and subsequent investment in InGroove's allowed you to play on a different level? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, as I think we've been uh, very thankful to the leadership team at Universal Music Group. I think, uh, you know, Bob's been very clear about thanking uh, Sir Lucian Grange and Boyd Muir in particular for their support, their continued support of our business. Um, but specifically as it pertains to some of the work that we do, in addition to the deals and some of the things that you mentioned, which are obviously of, of, of utmost importance, um, it's really catalyzed our growth in the sense that it's expanded our access to information uh, and it's expanded our action space as well. So previously, our algorithms, uh, while extraordinarily robust and scalable, were based on the data that we had at Ingroups. Now we have access to the richest set of music data in the entire world, courtesy of our parent company, Universal Music Group. So exactly to your point, it's made us smarter uh, and it's effectively allowed our ability to be prescriptive 
in a way that we can stand behind and go, well, this has worked for these types of artists, large artists, smaller artists. Uh, we've seen stepping stones and sort of step functions, if you will, for artist growth. So we're able to interrogate hypotheses, and I, I think in a much more expansive way and partner very collaboratively with our colleagues at UMG. Um, just, you know, the whole thing just gets better, smarter, quicker, faster, really. Uh, speaking of which, you hinted earlier about a third patent or patent on the way. I'm not going to. Yes. I'm not going to ask you for granular detail of that because I don't want anyone running away with the the secret recipe and trying it for themselves. But could you perhaps hint about where you want to see this marketing technology go next and why uh, that vision may be useful for independent artists and labels? Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Uh, you know, as I mentioned early on. Our, our service model uh, has been evolutionary, right? I mean, it really has to fit today's needs and that's a continual process. So when we think about something like social media, for instance, there are a lot of theories, frankly, untested theories that are not very quantitative around what may drive greater engagement. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of really good work that's done by brilliant marketing teams. But um, I think if we really start to build prescriptive analytics into a product suite in a programmatic way, we need to be we need to have greater conviction around what sort of social media signals are actually driving engagement and audience expansion. So at a very high level, an example of that continued evolution that will be encompassed in this third patent is really understanding the value of using social media signals to drive high value engagement and to go ahead and work with those audiences. So it's really sort of a continued thesis, if you will. Um, but we're very excited about this and we've got actually many more on the way as well. Could you just, for those who don't know you or know your background, obviously I've been following you since you joined in groups. Could you just give us a flavor of your background before you came to the music business? Because I just think people would find it interesting to follow the breadcrumbs of why Ingrooves would end up hiring somebody like you to lead projects like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's right, Tim. I think you broke you broke the story of the hire. Uh, you know, six, five and a half years ago. Um, I, I have a PhD in chemical physics and biophysical chemistry from Caltech. I'm actually a uh, physicist by training. But I'm a drug design scientist. So I've got uh, 14, 15 peer-reviewed publications um, in fields that have become much more relevant to people these days, given the, the pandemic, obviously. Um, but I've worked on small molecule antagonist design and designing peptide therapeutics um, and actually had a, a, a successful drug in clinical trials, a therapeutic drug in clinical trials. Um, but I broke away from that. I worked at Goldman Sachs. I worked at Lehman Brothers. Uh, I was a quant, uh, was a bit of a bond trader for a while, uh, worked in Switzerland and uh, was the chief investment officer for a venture capital fund. And uh, at some point was in London and worked as a strategy consultant. And, and so I've, I've done a couple interesting things that um, really just sort of driven by my desire to solve problems and work with people I really like working with. And I'm extraordinarily fortunate that there's no shortage of problems to solve in this business, and I'm incredibly thankful for the people I get to work with at Ingers. SK, we've heard a lot about what you're doing today and where your career was before you got to Ingers. But what about your life? Like, where did you begin in life? What was your childhood like, and where did it happen? Oh man, Tim, I I, I think you're gonna have to be my shrink now because that's that's where we're headed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, first generation American, grew up in L.A., uh, a rather un underprivileged part of L.A., uh, the Watts area. There's this sort of awesome story about Eze being, you know, our eighth grade commencement speaker because he went to the same middle school, uh, Markham Middle School. 
that I did. And I mean, it was, it was rough going, man, but you know, one of the things was, um, we were incredibly fortunate to grow up in the rich cultural and musical diversity that's LA. Right. I mean, you hear and see everything. I remember going to concerts of, of bands in LA that nobody had ever heard of outside. So weirdly, the first thing I remember saving up for when I was dirt poor was a subscription to Rolling Stone, because that was my aspirational, like, you know, whole nother part of life that I would never see. Right. So, um, which is also why I'm just incredibly privileged, I think, to be in the music business today. And when you came into the music business, I mean, you've done many things there, and I'm sure all of them were, as, as your career evolved, had different layers of complication. But, you know, effectively being a drug designer, that is something that's far beyond <laughs> the intellectual capacity of, of many people, myself included. Um, when you came into the music industry, what were the things that bemused you? That's what I want to know. What what took you aback in the way that the music industry worked, particularly as it pertains to its relationship with technology? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question, and I'm, I've I've been incredibly humbled by by listening to folks and learning from people. But as you say, there there's certainly things that you scratch your head and go, "Did did that really happen? Did someone just say that?" Um, I think initially it was sort of the lack of contextualization, right? Because, you know, well before any, now everyone's talking about machine learning and AI, like, like everyone's an expert, but I can tell you back in 2016, in fact, we certainly know, uh, it wasn't a thing. Very few people were talking about this sort of stuff in the music industry outside of Spotify. So I, I think initially it was so that lack of contextualization where people are like, what, what, but where's this going to go? Why would we do any of this stuff, right? What is this really going to mean? So that that was a bit unusual for me because I'm used to being in roles where innovation and R&D actually drive uh, success and growth. And and I've commented on this next point a bit earlier, but but being a scientist, you're used to failure. It's okay to test a theory. In fact, that's what you do. So it's the right thing to do, interrogate a hypothesis and go, hey, mea culpa, didn't didn't work out. Let's move on to something else. And I, I think early on in the music industry, I was sort of, taken aback sometimes by people going, I don't fail. I just don't fail. That's not a good, you don't ever want to fail. So I think embracing failure as a natural part of growth and accepting how you can learn from that and do better, uh, you know, is is something I've always embraced, but it definitely took me by surprise that that was not necessarily an attitude that was embraced by some of the folks that met the music industry early on. Uh, And at InGrooves, you've worked uh, primarily, I know that there's relationships within the Universal Music Group business, but you've worked primarily with independent managers, artists, and labels. All of the statistics seem to show that that is going, that is a thriving part of the business. It has um, risen just as every part of the business has with the growth of streaming, but particularly so that part of the business has risen and grown. Uh, Do you see that growth continuing do you see independent artists in particular becoming more of a force in the music business in future and if so could you sort of paint the picture of of where you see that going yeah absolutely tim i i i would say i certainly do because there there, there's and i mean this the best possible way and and frankly i'm I'm a failed drummer right like i'm not a particularly good drummer but but there's there's a new dreamer born every day who wants to see the music business and we want them 
to find their audience and succeed in the music business, right? So I think in some ways the challenge that we have working with independent artists and labels, and you alluded to this early on, is, is fundamentally a different challenge that a lot of ma major labels have. It's, a, it's at times it's a different skill set. It's really focusing on different aspects of growth, understanding what works and doesn't, uh, perhaps not having a, a two million dollar capital budget to spend on an, on an ad campaign forces you to be smarter in a different way and go, hey. How do I optimize $5,000 for this artist, right? Which might actually um, make or break them at any particular given time. So I, I see it growing because I, you know, I don't see populations all of a sudden deciding that they don't want to make creative content. Um, and I think our success cases start to embody this way of thinking that really are that's aligned with artistic expression, creativity, and really advancing that, right? And ultimately let the market decide if there's an audience for terrific content, whatever that may be, then over time, it's our job to connect, you know, the creator and the audience, right? And then let that evolve. Um, so in my view, I, I think that's going to be an ever existing, uh, sorry, an ever present um, opportunity. I, I just don't see that slowing down. And there are very few musicians, I think, that have come back, if any, that have come back and said, I don't want to grow my audience. I don't want to focus on who's listening. I don't want to focus on how to think about the next stage in my career. So yeah, and from that perspective, I think it's just going to be even, even more of an interesting opportunity for us. If post Spotify's launch, the defining, if you like, the defining theme in the recorded music business to now has been obviously the growth of streaming, but also algorithmic playlists. I'm not going to ask you what you think the defining uh, feature of the music industry is going to be for the next five to 10 years, but perhaps a defining feature as we move into the, this TikTok world, into a world of AI music, into the metaverse, into all of these things that are emerging. What to you is perhaps standing out as something you think is going to have a really big impact on the music industry and the artists operating within it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And and you've you've highlighted a lot of sort of the... Um, the the emerging aspects of technology and sort of things that fall under the Web three umbrella, um, and you're right, it's really hard to pinpoint the one thing because as as you pointed out, actually in MBW, there's multiple things that move in lockstep, right? And the infrastructure needs to be there, and the rights management piece needs to be there, and the artist community needs to be behind it. So with all these different moving pieces, uh, this is probably going to sound a little trite, but I mean it with sincerity. Um, I think the most important and the most impactful thing is actually going to be positive and accurate education, right? I mean, whether it's around royalties, whether it's on increased opportunities for monetization, particularly the conversation around, around NFTs and the metaverse, I think it's really going to be, I think the defining characteristic of success here is going to be separating the bullshit from facts, experiments, things that are working, things that we can get behind to really support the artist in a way that we can stake our professional reputation and go, this looks like it's going to work. This looks like it's going to help you get to where you want to go, as opposed to sort of that oft-sided moniker of, hey, man, this looks good, right? Like that that's, that's nebulous. You can't do much with it. So a lot of things that you mentioned, I think we're all very excited about, but we want to ensure that we de-risk that as much as possible with accurate information and proper education, right? So that we're actually partnering with our artists and labels um, 
as strong marketers and as, as true marketers, not as just like, you got to get behind this next big thing, which may or may not make you any money and may or may not increase awareness of music. I mean, why would I do that if it's not going to help my artists, right? Final question. Let's say Ingrooves 2.0 has been post-universal, you know, with the, with the second patent now in the bag. Uh, we're now very much moving into an era of Ingrooves 3.0. You know, there's been a leadership change and there'll be one coming. Where do you see Ingrooves headed uh, over the next five to 10 years, my favorite time frame, five to 10 years, but over the, the, the next phase of its evolution. Yes, that, that is a very Tim timeline, uh, five to 10 years. But, but you know, I mean, you've, you've talked about this so much over the years across the industry. I mean, I'm so thankful to work with the kinds of people that we do, not just on my team, but just across the board at the company. Um, I mean, it's ultimately our people, right? And it's a people business no matter what anyone says, right? We're never talking about using algorithms to replace that. That's just bullshit, right? We don't want to use algorithms to replace people. Um, we want to supplement uh, intelligence, right? And so it's a people business. And given that it's a people business, or frankly, it's our people that are responsible for driving the success that you talked about, the notable accomplishments over the past few years. And I think what I can tell you with, with complete honesty is that I am incredibly excited to build upon that solid foundation, that infrastructure, as we continue to move forward with our absolutely obsessive goal to be the most impactful strategic marketing partner for artists and labels. So lots of cool stuff's coming. And uh, again, going back to that point about ethos, our ethos is unchanged, man. We are who we are. It's very rare to, to the point of never happening uh, that I speak to both a scientist and a PhD on, on this podcast. So <laughs> SK Sharma, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your time, Tim.